Hello, everybody. Welcome to Grace Community Church. My name's John Keeler. I'm one of the pastors on staff. We're glad to have you here. And today, I get to continue us in our study of the book of Acts. And uh, as we kind of previewed a little bit last week, the book of Acts is a, is a book all about the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to see, and, and, and for those of you that were with us last week, we know that um, Luke was actually the author of both the Gospel of Luke, and he was the author of the sequel, which was Acts. And what we see in what um, he strategically does to connect these books is that what he's going to show us, and as we study the book of Acts, is that the, the center attention moves from Jesus in the Gospel of Luke to the Holy Spirit and the work that the Holy Spirit's going to do in, in, um, in, in Jesus' followers. It's not just a group of um, energe- you know, energetic, um, enthusiastic followers of Jesus, but the actual work of the Holy Spirit. So what I want to show you real quick, just to kind of set the stage, and I think last time, if you remember, we talked about reading the books kind of together and kind of reading the book of Luke before we we get into Acts. And um, so we're going to do that today. We're going to read the whole book of uh, Luke. So um, no, what I want to do is just give you a quick highlight. If you went to the last three chapters of Luke and you started in chapter 22 and you start reading about what happened okay, while Jesus was still alive. The first thing you start to see is a group of disciples, uh, Jesus' chosen disciples, questioning him at every turn when Jesus told them that he would have to suffer and die, okay? So they're questioning, not understanding, it seems like anything Jesus was telling them. Then you see um, everybody scatter when he's arrested, all these uh, promises to stay with him to, to the end, they scatter. They're so afraid of, of what might happen. And Peter, you know, the most bold of all of the disciples, betrays uh, Jesus three times, even um, to a, a servant girl. He was so afraid of being associated with, with Jesus. And then um, the crucifixion happens. They mourn. They hide. And um, they don't know what to do next, right? They're in an upper room. They're just distraught. Okay, this is the guy that was going to save the world, and, and now he's gone. And then you read right at the end, the last uh, chapter of Luke, you read that Jesus appeared to them, and they were shocked, right? And, and throughout the accounts of the gospel, we read that um, many doubted at first. Um, they had a lot of convincing to do, um, and so you have this, this group of Jesus followers that seem completely powerless. Then Luke flips over to Acts to tell the rest of the story. And as you start reading through the first five chapters and on in Acts, you see Peter, the same uh, you know, uh, person that betrayed Jesus and, and, and denied him, you see him stand up in front of a giant crowd in Acts 2 in Jerusalem, and he speaks with boldness. He convicts uh, the crowd of their sins. He, he actually said, this Jesus that you put to death is now the Messiah. And, and he explains the gospel message to them with clear boldness. You also see this continue to happen through um, the disciples that are now called apostles. All of these same men, uh, minus Judas, 
run around and they're, they're sharing the gospel message, okay? Even at the point of, of being threatened, they were in jail, they were beaten, but they never stopped proclaiming the word of God. And we see in Acts 5, uh, verses 40 through 41, a great example of this. So the, um, the Pharisees and the, and the religious leaders, this is the second event where we read about um, the apostles coming in, getting beaten, um, told never, never to speak in Jesus' name again. And it says that the religious leaders called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, for the name of Jesus. And day after day, this is what we read, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped preaching the word of God and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. So what happened? And think about it. If we, if we think about the fact that Luke is very deliberate in the way he's trying to convey a message, he's showing you that if you had read the two books together and, and over the overlapping chapters, what happened? How did these disciples turned apostles all of a sudden have this boldness? Well, I think we know the answer. On, on, in the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down upon them, and they now had the power of the Holy Spirit. And this was a life-changing um, transformation that happened inside of them. And the interesting thing is, so this is the main point that one of the main points that Luke is going to be highlighting throughout the book of Acts that we're going to continue to see is that this is the power of the Holy Spirit to take the work of Jesus and continue it on through his, his followers who have the Holy Spirit's power. And the good news is for each of us, each and every one of us that have um, that, that are believers and have accepted Christ as our Savior, we all have that exact same Holy Spirit inside of us, giving us the power to transform the world around us. But the question is, and I think this is a question we should all be asking, is if we do have that same Spirit, how many of you experience um, that type of boldness or transformation? Do you see that type of power in your life on a day-to-day -day basis? I think that's really the question. Because what, what I would say is in my years of being involved in various churches, um, this is one of the topics that's most misunderstood in, in modern Christian churches. The Holy Spirit is the least understood uh, person of the Trinity. So if you attended various churches, you've either seen the Holy Spirit undervalued barely ever talked about, or maybe you've um, seen uh, various um, portrayals of the Holy Spirit, or you've, you've heard uh, worship songs that kind of give you some incorrect doctrine about the Holy Spirit and, and, and what um, role he plays in our lives. So this is one of the topics we're really going to hit today, and it's going to continue throughout our, our um, whole series um, throughout Acts. We really need to understand what the role is of the Holy Spirit um, we're going to look a little bit about what the baptism of the Holy Spirit means um, and how to walk in the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, the news is really, the, the punchline of this whole sermon is that we each have the Holy Spirit and we each have that power. We can walk in that power, but we need to know how. So let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for uh, the gift of your Holy Spirit. We just thank you that... Um, 
in this church age, when we live under the new covenant, we know that uh, the power of God is within us through the Holy Spirit. We just know that uh, you have given us truth in your word that we can seek, that can be illuminated. We ask that the Holy Spirit would work in our lives right now to open up our minds and our hearts to what you'd have us hear. I just ask this time to be a blessing to each of us in this room and that we could worship you today. Amen. Okay, so if you have a Bible or a device, we're going to obviously be starting an act. So um, the first three verses are where I want to start because I want to show you something about the prominence of the Holy Spirit that, that you may not have seen before. Acts 1, 1 through 3, we read, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So we know, again, Luke wrote both the gospel and Acts, and he's referring back to his gospel that he wrote. And in that, he wrote about the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. And what's interesting here is that he says, in referring um, to that book, he says he dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And what I found striking is that if Jesus is just about to ascend, and we're going to read um, his ascension um, next week, but if he's just about to ascend after this conversation with his disciples, how would it be that it is only what Jesus began to do? What, what, what did um, Luke mean by saying that he wrote about all that Jesus began to do? Well, the answer quickly comes up when we see in verse 2, he says that Jesus was speaking through the Holy Spirit. He had given commands to his apostles through the Holy Spirit. And what Luke's trying to show us is that there's a shift, that the, that the Lord is going to be, through the Holy Spirit, giving his apostles um, this new ministry to take on and to continue and to finish for him, which, as we know in the book of Acts and in our lives today, that work is never finished until the Lord calls us home. So the role of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' own ministry sometimes I think is something that's undervalued or, or, or missed. And one of the things I did is I went back and I looked at the, uh, the book of Luke. And to Luke, the Holy Spirit's uh, role in Jesus' ministry was, was very prominent. And I have a slide that I want to um, just I'll quickly go through a few bullets that when we look back in the book of Luke we see right out of the gate that in Luke 1.35, we know about the story where Mary's told that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and, and be the, the divine agent that empowers uh, Jesus' birth. So the Holy Spirit is present right uh, at the beginning in Jesus' birth. And before um, he started his ministry, we know that he was baptized by John the Baptist. And when you look at uh, Luke 32, the account tells us that the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. 
You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So this descending of the Holy Spirit on Jesus in bodily form was an affirmation of who he was, God's son, but also the empowerment for his ministry. And what's, what's interesting, you, you read a few verses later, verse uh, Luke 4, 1, it says that Jesus, filled with the Spirit, was led by the Spirit to the desert to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. So he resisted that temptation, and he prevailed. And then the end of that uh, account, it says in Luke 4:14. 4, that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. So we see this very prominent role as the Holy Spirit is empowering and leading Christ throughout his ministry. And in fact, after he uh, finished that, that temptation, and he went to, then to Nazareth, where he grew up. And what we see in that account is that he went into his hometown, he went into the synagogue, and as part of his custom is he would go into the synagogue and they would read scrolls. And so he picked up the scroll of Isaiah and he read a very particular um, prophecy in Isaiah. Luke 4, 18 through 19 says that Jesus read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So he gets to this point uh, where he's just about ready to start his ministry. And from this point on, we're going to see that Jesus begins his, his earthly ministry. And he's reading from the scroll. He's reading from Isaiah 61. Uh, verses 1 and 2, and this is a prophecy about the coming Messiah, that he would be indwelled by the Holy Spirit and empowered uh, for the ministry that God has for him. So I, I say all that just because it, it's something that I think is overlooked, and I think about when I was looking at this point um, and preparing the message, you know, when you think about how prominent the role of the Holy Spirit was in Jesus's ministry, is he that prominent in my ministry? And in my life, if Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God, was empowered by the Holy Spirit, why would I think that, that I can do anything without that Holy Spirit's power? So that's, that's one of the points we want to see is that the prominence of the Holy Spirit is going to be a recurring theme in Acts. So then in our next section, we're just getting on to verses 4 and 5. Jesus is going to remind his, his apostles of a promise that was made over and over again to them. And we read, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus was telling them, to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise that if you read through the book of John, you see Jesus make over five times. Um, he's promising, you know, when I go, you, you know, the, the, the Father will give the, the comforter, the, the Holy Spirit, the helper, and he will show you all things that I have um, told you. Because Jesus sees the Holy Spirit and is communicating to them, the Holy Spirit is necessary when he leaves, they need the Holy Spirit to continue this work. 
And that is uh, an important point. Now, obviously, I would think they would, um, they would have a little bit of trouble waiting. I know that you know, we all have trouble waiting for, for uh, the unknown that God has in our lives. Um, but in God's timing, just 10 days later when people were gathered in, um, in Jerusalem for Pentecost, in God's timing, he had that event take place and the promised Holy Spirit marked the beginning of a new age, okay? And we can all be thankful for that beginning because this is the time when from that point forward, believers in Jesus Christ will receive the, the power of the Holy Spirit at the point of salvation and the Holy Spirit indwells us um, from that point forward. So it's a shift in the way God works through his people. Now, one point that we're going to continue to come back to is this point about the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit because it's a very um, miscon misconstrued point in a lot of churches. Um, I think uh, some people, you know, think that it's something you need to seek after, um, something that you need to work for. Um, but we know that um, from various scriptures, especially a couple weeks ago, we read from um, Titus. Titus 3.5 tells us, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Lord. And one of my favorite verses um, to encourage people you know, when we're saved, we're saved by, um, by God's grace. We're given the Holy Spirit. And then it's that same Holy Spirit that we need to draw on for power in our lives. And Paul in uh, Galatians 3, 2 through 3 says, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And this is a point that Paul makes over and over again in, in many different verses. And um, he's showing us that there's a difference in the role of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is, is permanent. It's, he's the seal of our salvation um, under the new covenant. And we read in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, this is one of the clearest um, verses I use to explain this to people. In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. All right. Um, you know, and what's interesting about this, if you think about that, Old Testament times, how did God uh, give his spirit out? This is the difference. See, in the Old Testament times, God gave his spirit selectively, right, to only a certain people uh, that he had to do certain tasks, and it was temporary normally. And so this is in contrast to today. We, we know if you've read about King Saul, um, looking through the account in 1 Samuel 16, 14, we see that after he was disobedient, the Lord removed that anointing, removed the Holy Spirit from him, okay? And you, you, if you've read um, various psalms from uh, David, 
Psalm 51.11, he begs the Lord to take not your spirit from me, from your Holy Spirit from me. But since the day of Pentecost, all of us who are saved have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit at the point of salvation. And the question then to ask is, what are you doing with the gift of the Holy Spirit? Right? Are you living with that power every day? Is that something that you see evident in your life? Or are you living in the power of your flesh and your own human efforts? Now, this next section we're going to cover in our main text is uh, the last words, basically, that um, Luke records of Jesus before he ascended into heaven. And we read in verse 6, so when, he had, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So this is a point, the first two verses, six and seven, we could take this off course and, and, and spend a sermon or two to preach about this, but I want to clear something up real quick about what they're asking. And, and so... According to um, prophecies such as Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, his disciples uh, were associating the power of the Holy Spirit or the coming of the Holy Spirit with prophecies uh, back in the Old Testament that, that showed that the uh, Holy Spirit, or they at least interpreted that the Holy Spirit would accompany um, Christ's literal physical reign on earth, um, establishing um, his reign uh, over Israel and, and the world which will happen at his second coming, a, a literal, physical kingdom of, of Jesus. But they're a little bit confused about that. Now, the interesting thing to note is that they, they aren't corrected um, or rebuked for thinking that Jesus will come again and establish that literal kingdom. Jesus just tells them, that's not for you to know. This is something that the Father knows only. And right now, and we're going to see in the, in the second half or the, or the second half of this in verse eight, that he's basically going to tell them, that's not your worry. You know, don't worry about that right now. I've got work for you to do. There's something else we need to do first. And so when we read again, Acts 1, 8, we, say, we see that Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And this is really that focal point of the entire book of Acts is the power and the purpose of the Holy Spirit's indwelling. And Luke actually uses this to kind of outline what he's going to, um, how he's going to unfold the book of, of Acts in, in kind of uh, geographic uh, distribution of the gospel. But the key to their success was going to be the Holy Spirit. They were worried about this earthly kingdom. We, we heard in the Gospels, everybody kept asking Jesus about, Jesus about this earthly kingdom, but the real kingdom work had to be done in spreading the Gospel before Jesus' return. Now, the, the interesting thing, I want to I take a step 
back and say is that the Holy Spirit gives us this divine enablement, right? And the Holy Spirit's power, he's telling them, is going to transform their words. They're not, um, it's not the words of his followers or people that um, are, are sharing some good news, but this is literally continuing um, God's work, continuing the work of Christ through teaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit actually gives us the opportunity to say um, the words of, of God and, and actually have fruit be delivered from that. And I say that because the Spirit's enablement is what empowers the gospel to have effect on, on unbelievers' lives. It's not our crafty words or even our, our, um, our actions, but it's actually the role of the Holy Spirit. Now, for believers, the good news is when he's indwelling you, there's power that you have that you sometimes might not even know you have. And I, I have, I think you've all been looking at the slide up there. <laughs> um, I could tell there were eyes looking up. And so this is a really cool slide that Sharon helped put together that really shows, like for us as believers, this is the power that we have. Um, and this is only a highlight. I, I didn't have time to um, share everything. But in 1 Corinthians, we know that there are spiritual gifts given to, to each and every believer. Okay? Each of us are given spiritual gifts to minister to the body. Okay? Um, Galatians 5, we know that there's spiritual fruit that comes out of us. The Holy Spirit's fruit, and that's a singular, produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Okay, and a good test of, of whether or not you're being led by the Spirit, on your drive home, ask uh, someone else in your car, do, do you see that type of fruit in my life? And in Ephesians 3, we are strengthened in our inner, inner being, our inner man, so to speak, through the Holy Spirit's power. And that um, is this calm and confidence that you get when you know you're doing the will of God. Even in difficult situations, you make a challenging um, decision that you have to stick by. I know in my job, sometimes just, uh, you know, I had to stick to what I know that God wanted me to do, and the Holy Spirit gave me confidence. Whether I lost my job, whether some fallout would happen, and a lot of you as parents, if, if you're walking in the Spirit, you can have that confidence to know that if you are doing what God wants you to do in raising your children, he'll take care of the rest. He'll give you that confidence, that assurance. And I've talked to many of you that, that, that have experience like that. Romans 8 tells us that he helps us in our weakness and, how to, and intercedes for us in prayers. And I know that my wife and I, you know, had, had challenging times uh, in, in our life. And, and sometimes, you know, I would be, at, you know, in tears in my, in my devotional time just not even knowing how to pray. Or you're so stressed or frustrated, but the Holy Spirit can intercede for us with groanings too deep for words. 1 Corinthians 2, we know that the Holy Spirit actually gives us insight. He illuminates God's word, okay? Now, the, the important part of that is God's word needs to be within you. You need to know God's word, but he will illuminate that. He will bring that to life. He gives you new spiritual insights, and, and that is um, 
one of the roles that he plays in helping us understand and live by and follow God's word. And we know from 2 Corinthians 3, we, we see that the, the Holy Spirit is actually the agent within inside of us, the power to transform us into the image of Christ. And that can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. And John 15, 26 tells us that the Spirit's primary role is to bear witness to Christ. The Spirit bears witness to Christ, shows us more and more of him, our Savior. And so there are so many different reasons, but there's really, if you look back at the second half of uh, verse 1-8, he says the, the main purpose for this Holy Spirit coming is to allow them to be his witnesses. It says, you will be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the end of the earth. That is the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit. And, and that continues to be the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit, to point everyone to Jesus. I mean, I love um, that slide and I love the, the, the joy and the fruit we can have as believers. But if you are not using the Spirit to give you the power to serve your primary purpose, you're missing out. It's to share the gospel. It's to be a witness. I wrote a couple weeks ago, almost 50% of millennials now say that they think it's wrong to share their faith with an unbeliever. Wrong. I couldn't believe I read that. It's wrong to share their faith, to tell people about their eternal destiny. But that is our number one goal here. That is why we stick around. That's what God has for us to do. Complete Jesus's work till the day he comes back to share the good news of the gospel. Because think about it. How much do you have to hate someone to know about eternal life and salvation and not share it with them? That's, that's the question. So the scope is the whole world. And it's interesting the way Luke uh, outlines this for them. It starts in Jerusalem right where they were, in your hometown, right, you know, right where you're, you are today. And that's the same for each of us. It all starts with right where you are. We don't all have to go uh, to a foreign country. Our, our kids went on a, a short-term missions trip, and that is phenomenal. And it all happens in concentric circles. But for us, most of us, it's right here in our hometown. And this is, in fact, for them, right where Jesus was crucified, where his enemies thought they won. And then uh, Luke outlines Judea and Samaria were just kind of right around Jerusalem, and they were mixed uh, ethnicity. There was kind of like a, a shared uh, heritage, a little bit of Judaism, but he, uh, heathenism mixed in with it. So it's kind of that next group of people. And then the end of the earth was really, you know, Jesus is predicting um, that the word would go forth in every corner of the earth. And this is actually a prophecy that um, he was alluding to from Isaiah that basically said that the Gentiles as well as the Jews, would receive God's salvation. And you'll see in Acts, that is something that um, his followers had a really hard time digesting. 
But this concept of witness is so important in this book as we read it. it Luke references the word witness 39 times. And really, as you read it, you'll see that that is the primary purpose for every believer, and that's the primary purpose he wrote uh, the book of, of Luke and Acts. Now, the question we have is, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to be prominent, like I said, in your life, carrying out that purpose, sharing the good news? And what we want to know next is, if that's our purpose... The biggest question I think most Christians have is, is how do you walk in the Spirit? How do you let the Holy Spirit, you know, empower you? There's so many confusing things out there, um, you know, especially, you know, a lot of people have emotional experiences and get really, you know, stuck on a roller coaster experience in their Christian life. They don't have the steady guiding force of the Holy Spirit or that calm confidence. But... My favorite uh, biblical author who speaks the most about the topic is Paul. Paul talks all about what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and to have the prominence of the Holy Spirit in your life. So let's look at a few. Um, and I just I had six Ps. Now we have four Cs. I'm trying to be a pastor. <laughs> Learned it from my dad. Um, but the first is consent. And I, I, if you look back at uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And really to grieve the Holy Spirit is saying that you're shutting him out, not consenting to his work in your life. So the, the worst thing you can do is shut out the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's um, not doing something you feel maybe that you should do. I, I remember the one time, this is a perfect example. I tried to grieve the Holy Spirit, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't let up. I was driving down a road and had seen the same um, homeless person walking down this one stretch of road over and over again. And I just, like that day, I'm running late to work, but the Holy Spirit was like, stop, stop, talk to him. And I just kept driving right by. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I get a little further down the road and, I, and I'm like, no, I got to go back. So I turned around and he was gone. I was like, okay, that's fine. And, but then I caught him on a different side of the road and I was like, okay, okay. So finally I tracked him down. I don't know if he was starting to get worried about me, but, um, and I shared the love of Christ with him. I said, I love you and God loves you. And he sent me here to tell you that, that Jesus is your, your savior. He's my savior. If you'll accept him. And I shared the gospel, talked to him, understood what was going on in his life. Um, but it was just the strangest thing, and I could never uh, explain it. But I, I tried to grieve the Holy Spirit, but that's the last thing you want to do. Because when you grieve the Holy Spirit, you have no power. You have no power in your life, in your Christian life. The second one is confess. And this is where we know that... Um, Quenching the Holy Spirit, grieving the Holy Spirit comes up when we have unconfessed sin. And that is the worst possible way to grieve the Holy Spirit. If you have unrepentant sin in your life and you haven't confessed it, the Holy Spirit's power will not be prevalent in your life. You have to come to God. You have to confess it. Not because he needs to hear that you did it, but because you need to acknowledge that something needs to change. 
So you need to confess and repent so that the Holy Spirit can have power in your life again to not be quenched and grieved. The next to comply, that's really about being filled with the Spirit. And, and it means obeying him in all areas of your life, okay? Turning more and more over to him as he sanctifies you in his power and, con- and conforms you to the image of Christ. And, and I think of it, you know, thankfully at the point of salvation, he doesn't tell you, he doesn't show you everything that's wrong in your life. But over and over again, I mean, through my Christian life, 35 years, he's revealed things that I needed to let go or I needed to soften my heart or, you know, as, as I was in my 20s, stop listening to certain music, be more, um, you know, filtered about what I watch, you know, things that, that we, I needed to comply with his leading because he wanted to give me more. And the, and the last one is um, carry out. And this is walking by the Spirit, the truth of the, of the Word. And for most people, they've never really experienced this. This is a moment-by-moment, step-by-step, walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Really, um, you know, you think back about Paul saying, praying at all times. It's really taking everything to the Lord, being diligent, being thoughtful, um, praying before you make decisions slowing down to listen and wait. What I found is um, growing up, you know, my, my impulsive reactions, they weren't bad, but they, they, you know, they most times weren't what God wanted me to do. You know, I just wanted to kind of quick fix a problem or deal with something, but I wasn't really waiting on the Lord to empower me um, to, you know, work through a situation. Now, the one uh, thing I wanted to close with, you know, as we think about this, this concept, I found a story, a short story about um, the late uh, Stephen Olford, if you've, if you've heard of him. He was a preacher. Uh, he basically wrote a few books as well. But I, th- I thought this was spot on in, in an experience that, that m- many people have. Um, Stephen Olford's parents were missionaries to Africa when he was born in 1918, and he grew up in Angola. And he had a number of really traumatic um, life or death situations. And, and one of them, he was walking across a bridge and almost fell to his death. And that night, he was having devotions with his mom. She read John 14, two through three. And she asked him, and that's the, um, he, you know, Jesus is going to prepare a place for you. And she asked him, will you go to heaven if you die? And he, he had to think about it. He's a young boy, and, and he didn't know the answer. But that night, he was frightened. He thought, what if my mom, you know, gets called up to heaven and I don't? Um, he, he came in, you know, in tears, and his mom walked him through the gospel, um, walked him through, you know, what it meant to be saved. They prayed together, and he accepted Jesus as his Savior. And... Um, that's the type of story where you hope he just, you know, has a wonderful life from there. And, but years later, he, he walked away from the Lord while he was in college. He kind of put his, his uh, faith on the shelf, like a lot of people unfortunately do. But he experienced another life-threatening uh, situation. He actually got into a horrible motorcycle accident. He was bedridden. But he refused at that point to turn back to God. He still was stubborn. Then his father, after having visited him, after talking to him, pleading with him, 
that maybe this is God's way of getting your attention. His, his dad went back to Africa, but later wrote him just one line. And for those of you that um, know the evangelist C.T. Studd, it's a famous quote. Um, his father wrote it to him, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that was something that his father had said all throughout his upbringing. And it was that moment, even though he was bedridden, all these injuries, he dropped on the floor, prayed, um, and, and asked the Lord to be um, the Lord of his life. And, and he committed himself again back to the Lord. And um, he continued to kind of pursue God after that and, and went into ministry. But the interesting thing is, as he's written, looking back on his life, he said that he never fully understood the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, while I received the Holy Spirit at the time of my conversion as a young lad, I did not understand the meaning of the fullness of the Spirit until I was older. Then I discovered it is possible for the Holy Spirit to be present without being president, to be dormant without being dominant, to be resident without reigning. The Holy Spirit can be quenched and grieved in a believer's life. But when sin is exposed and self is put to death, the Holy Spirit can fill to overflowing. And he said he experienced that after much agony in his life and kind of wrestling with God um, and looking at the, and, at the scriptures. What happened then, fast forward a little bit l- later in his life, he, he started to really pour into scripture that was relating to walking in the spirit and being filled in the spirit. And this was his turning point. At one point in, in, stud, in studying and researching, God revealed this, this knowledge to him. And he said, I dropped to my knees and yielded everything to the reign and rule of the indwelling spirit. No glory filled the room, no visions filled my eyes, no tongues were uttered, but I knew there and then that I was set free. The fetters and frustration were gone. I hadn't to wait to preach to know that I had been liberated. There were tears in my eyes, but peace in my soul. He understood at that point that he needed to be continually dependent on the Holy Spirit. And later he recalls a lot of regret in his life. And I think of myself as well. I, I, I think growing up, I never really understood the power of the Holy Spirit and walking in dependence on him. And Stephen said, he looks back and he said, it is possible to be indwelt by a grieved Holy Spirit. And for a number of years, he was grieved in my life. During that time, God seemed so unreal and remote. Then I allowed God to break me. And in my life, there was blessing once again. I proved that getting right with God leads from backsliding through brokenness into blessing. The Holy Spirit is not only a blessing to be experienced, but an imperative to be obeyed. The Spirit-filled life is normal Christian living, and to attempt to serve without the power of the Holy Spirit is to offer God fleshly efforts of Cain instead of the spiritual sacrifices of Abel. So I I read you that story because how many of you really want to live in the power of the Holy Spirit? 
And, and how many of you, unfortunately, feel like Stephen did at one point where God might, felt, might have felt a little distant, a little unreal? Or I had a friend who would confess, I, you know, I don't know, I just don't feel like I'm saved. It's a good sign that the Holy Spirit is not at work in your life. You're not yielding to him. And that's the most important part of, of today's uh, message is we really have to be deliberate. And as a, as a church, we want to be a church filled with the Holy Spirit. It points others to God where we can uh, be in community together, encouraging each other and um, helping each other work out their salvation through the power of the Holy Spirit. So as I pray, uh, we're going to have some folks around the room that are willing to pray with you, would love to pray with you. If you have anything on your heart, if you want to talk more with them, let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the power that's within us. We just thank you that um, we don't have to, to live this Christian walk on our own. We're not even supposed to live this Christian walk on our own. What you began at salvation in the spirit, you want to continue on in our lives, not in our flesh. We don't need to earn it. We don't need to seek it. We know that the Holy Spirit is within each and every one of us who are believers. And Lord, if there is someone here who has not accepted the salvation that comes only through Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit that comes at that point, we just ask that you would lay on their heart what's missing. We know as stories like John Wesley, uh, that people can be on mission for God in their own mind and, and, and just and believe in God, but not have the true saving faith that comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We just ask that nobody would leave today without talking to somebody and understanding the, the free gift of eternal life. We love you, Lord. We know that you love us. We know that your spirit has made us adopted children, sons and daughters of, of the Most High. We just thank you for this gift. Pray that your blessing over these people. Amen.